All right, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And uh, in this particular part of the book of Ephesians, Paul started this study in the verses that we looked at the last time we were here in Ephesians, talking about spiritual gifts, and he continues the study. Now, of course, Paul is the human author of the book of Ephesians. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so the ultimate author is, author is God himself. Paul's in prison at Rome. He writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. He's received some communication from this church. Uh, Paul's in prison here. See that? That's Rome right there. That's the boot, Italy. That's Rome. Ephesus is over here in modern-day Turkey. And so somebody, maybe from the church at Ephesus, who had business in, in Rome, you know, said, hey, one day he was at church. He says, I'm going to Rome. And they said, hey, Paul's in prison in Rome. Let's take up an offering and let's write him a letter. We have some questions for him and we just want to encourage Paul. And so this guy, he made the journey from Ephesus and, you know, it took him quite a while. He finally got to Rome and he found Paul, not in a dungeon, but in a rented house, according to Acts 28. And so he fellowshiped with Paul, you know, the guy, he conducted his business, delivered what he delivered from the church. And a fellowship with Paul, you know, when you when you went in those days, you didn't just like go and stay a week because it took a long time to get to where you're going if you're going to travel that distance. So you would go and stay a while, you know, six months, a year or whatever. And so this guy, he, whoever it was, he stayed with Paul. And then he said, finally, he said to Paul, Paul, I got to go home. Paul said, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, you need to go home and I'm going to write a letter to the church and a letter of encouragement a uh, letter where Paul, you know, kind of preaches to them as he's writing and gives them theology and doctrine. And that letter turned out to be the book of Ephesians. And so in this portion of the letter, he's talking, he's talking to the church about spiritual gifts. Now, there was, there was a lot of controversy in the early church in some places about spiritual gifts, especially in Corinth. Uh, you know, the Corinthian Christians had a lot of issues. And, uh, and, and so Paul, he addressed that in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And he, he talks about spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. So let's start. Verse 11. And he himself. Now, who is the he and who is himself? That is Jesus. Jesus gave some. That is, he gave some spiritual gifts to believers in the church. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. Now, a perfect, he's talking to the church. In other words, spiritual gifts help us to mature. Perfect, not in the sense of sinless perfection, but in maturity. Man referring to the body of Christ. In other words, spiritual gifts were given to help us to mature as Christians. To the measure of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, 
may grow up in all things unto him, into him, who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, verse 16, you scratch your head and you said, what does that mean? Well, we'll understand it in just a moment. So here's what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. The Bible teaches that every Christian, every believer, has been given a spiritual gift, at least one. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. It teaches it in multiple places. When you gave your life to Christ, that was your spiritual birthday. And you know what you get on your birthday? You get gifts. You know? When you have a birthday, you get, you get gifts, right? Gifts are given to you. Well, when you were born again, God gave you a gift. It was your birthday. You are born again. It was your spiritual birthday. So to commemorate your spiritual birthday, God gave you a gift. And that gift is your spiritual gift. Now, what is a spiritual gift? Now, a lot of, a lot of Christians, you know, these, this is one of those things that goes in one ear and out the other for a lot of Christians. They, they'll nod and say, well, that's nice. Every Christian gets a spiritual gift. And then they say to themselves, everybody but me. I don't have no spiritual gift. I wouldn't know it if it hit me upside the head. You know, what kind of spiritual gift do I have? And so, you know, a lot of times when we're, we're teaching stuff like this, people will hear it, it'll go in one end or out the other, and they'll nod and say, that's very nice, preacher, that's so spiritual that you're talking about that. But they don't see it as applicable to them. But the reality is this. Every person who is a Christian has been given a spiritual gift by God. Now, what is a spiritual gift? Well, spiritual gifts are not natural, not, not natural talents. Now, sometimes they can be built upon natural talents. You know, I'm a talker. I was in Christian radio. I'm a pastor. I'm a talker, <laughs> you know? And so, I don't know. I have the, I guess, the gift of gab. Maybe that's just a natural thing. Sometimes Miss Ayers wishes I didn't have so much of that gift, you know, at times, I understand. But, you know, a spiritual gift is not a natural talent, though it may be built upon a natural talent. A spiritual gift is not some kind of natural skill or ability. Believers and unbelievers have, you know, natural talents like cooking or working on computers or things like that. Spiritual, this is what spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities. The, the spiritual gifts are things that are given to believers by God. Supernatural abilities given to believers by the Holy Spirit. Supernatural endowments. Supernatural abilities that God gives us. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not intended to make us puff up with pride or anything like that. The purpose of spiritual gifts are intended to, God gives us gifts to use for the benefit of others, not for ourselves. 
He gives us spiritual gifts to use to edify others, to build up the church, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you were saved and you say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts that the Bible identifies. And, and you know, this is, this is fluid. There, 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 there are different gifts that are, that are applicable, that God gives applicable to certain epochs of time, generations of time, periods of time in the history of the church. And so let's look at some of the, the different list of spiritual gifts we find in the Bible. We just read Ephesians 4.11. Specifically mentions apostles. Now that's a spiritual gift given to some. Prophets. That's a spiritual gift that was given to some. Evangelist. We'll talk about these in a minute. Pastors and teachers, which simply should be pastors hyphenation teachers. In other words, it was not intended to be pastors and teachers, but in the original language, it's pastor teachers. Pastors are to be teachers. <laughs> you know, pastors are to be teachers. One of the functions of being a pastor is to teach the Word of God, to explain the Word of God, to apply the Word of God. So that's one list. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8 has a list of spiritual gifts. The gift of prophecy. The gift of ministry. We would say it, the gift of serving. The gift of teaching. Exhortation. Liberality. That is giving. The gift of leading or administration. The gift of showing mercy. You know, some people just have the gift of being merciful and compassionate to others. How we need those people. <laughs> and I can tell you one thing. My wife has that gift. Now, she's sitting right there and she's going to throw a biscuit at me in a minute. But I'm going to tell you right now, she has that gift. I hear her talking to people and she's just pouring out love and mercy and grace. To, if you ever need a pick-me-up, call Miss Iris, Okay. And, she, uh, you know, people just have that gift of mercy, compassion, and encouragement. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, mentions the gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, the gift of healing, the gift of working miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 through 30. Mentions the gift of an apostle, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helping, administrating, tongues, interpretation of tongues. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, mentions the gift of speaking and the gift of ministering. Now, those are just some of the gifts, spiritual gifts, that are mentioned in the Bible. Now, these are broad categories, and there are a lot of things that can fit under each one of these so that it would be applicable to everybody in the church. Now, the spiritual gifts that are lift, listed in the Bible can be divided into three categories. There's three different categories of spiritual gifts. First of all, there's the speaking gifts or verbal gifts, like preaching, teaching, 
exhortation through speaking or preaching and through music and through singing. Wisdom, knowledge, speaking, and evangelism. Those are speaking and verbal gifts. Sometimes God will endow people with a, a supernatural endowment. When I say supernatural, it's not like you can fly or anything like that, but God has given you a gift to preach, to teach, to exhort. The gift of wisdom, that's, that's a gift. Uh, a, a, you know, the ability to understand stuff and how stuff ought to be done and how yeah, well, stuff that ought not to be done and which way you ought to do that. I've had in my church life people who were wives who had just the gift of understanding, well, the church needs to do this, but we don't need to do it that way. We need to do it this way. The gift of wisdom. And you need to recognize that gift and then you depend on people. Knowledge, speaking, evangelism. Those are verbal gifts. Those are speaking gifts. Then there are the, the serving gifts or the nonverbal gifts like leadership. Some people just have a natural way of leading others. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll take charge kind of people. We need leaders. And they'll, you know, and they, 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 you know, see a ministry that needs to be done, see something that needs to be done, and they're ready. And they're going to lead it and they're going to organize it. You need people who have the gift of leadership. The gift of helps. That's just somebody who's ready to do anything that needs to be done. They don't care about being a leader. But if something needs to be moved, if something needs to be built, if something needs this or something needs that, they're ready to help. They have the gift of helps. They'll be here on Saturday morning to clean up in the fellowship hall. Somebody needs help. They'll be there. They have the gift of help, the gift of giving. Some people just have a gift of giving, giving financially, giving in other ways, the gift of mercy, of faith. I remember when we were at Pleasant Grove and we were going to build a family life center and we didn't have all the money we needed. And so we were talking about it and said, well, we're not going to start building the Family Life Center until we get enough money to put up the building. It won't be enough to finish it, but we won't begin, you know, building the Family Life Center until we get enough money to start the building, to put the, erect the building, and then we'll raise more money to, you know. We didn't want to have any debt, and we turned out we didn't, you know. And we had some people, there's always some people in the church that we can't do that. We can't do that. We'll never get that money. That's crazy. We can't do that. But then you always have those people that say, yeah, we can do that. God's going to provide. All we got to do is step out on faith. See? And they have the gift of faith, which encourages those who don't have faith. Then you have the gift of serving those who just minister, those who just, the gift of discernment. You know, it's good to have the gift of discernment where you can spot a con man a mile off. <laughs> right? I mean, the gift of discernment. Now, speaking gifts, verbal gifts, serving gifts, nonverbal gifts are permanent spiritual gifts that will operate throughout the entire church age until Jesus comes again. And again, these gifts are not given for you to be puffed up like a peacock, but I have this gift. These gifts are given to us for the benefit of others, to edify the church, to encourage others. 
to glorify God. Spiritual gifts are not given to us. See, in Corinth, people were walking around saying, I've got the gift of tongues. I've got the greatest gift. You know, and they were competing on the level of who had this gift and who had that gift. And Paul liked to have a conniption fit. Do you know what that is? When he was writing to that church, you know, he basically said in Southern East, y'all are a bunch of dummies. You don't even understand what you're doing. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. God didn't call me to preach or, or to teach or to, to serve as a pastor for my benefit, for my honor and for my glory and to build me up. God called me that this ministry for the benefit of other people, to encourage others, to edify the church, to glorify God. Listen, always remember this. You and I, we're just nobodies who are trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved our soul. Amen. And our legacy should always be, we just leave this world, and our legacy should be always about Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's, you know, we'll get the honor and glory in heaven. So these gifts, verbal, nonverbal gifts, are permanent gifts. Now, there's a third category of spiritual gifts, which are short-term gifts, are temporary gifts. These gifts were limited to the, the early days of the church. These gifts were given to the early church, and they were intended to authenticate the gospel message as the true word of God. Remember, the New Testament in the early church, they didn't have a New Testament. The Church of Corinth didn't have a New Testament. It was being written. All these, these churches in the, in the early Christian history that they didn't have, they had maybe, maybe a copy of the Old Testament, but that was not assured. You know, those were pretty expensive and not extensively widely held. They didn't have a, you know, they didn't have a, a New Testament. It was in the process of being written. So there were some, some temporary short-term gifts that were given to people in the church that were intended to authenticate the gospel as the true word of God until the written word of God was completed. And so these are gifts that are not needed anymore because we have the word of God and the word of God authenticates the truth of the gospel. And so there were some temporary gifts given to the early church. These gifts include miracles. Now, that doesn't say that God doesn't do miracles anymore. God does do miracles. But God does not, God does not anymore endow one certain individual to have the ability to lay hands on somebody and heal them. You know, there's jack legs running around all over the country saying, you come. We, we know of a person who had cancer, went to Florida to some, some guy she gave him $500. He laid hands on her. And, of course, he wouldn't do it without the $500. Laid hands on her, told her she was cured. Three months later, she died of cancer. That's a scam. Okay? There's no one single individual anywhere that has been endowed by God to order to do a healing miracle or any other kind of miracle. Now, God does miracles. But he has not endowed anybody today with that ability to do that. So don't waste your time with that. And, but God in the early church gave people 
the ability to do that. Why? So that when they healed somebody, and they couldn't just do it at will, there were periodic times when they were given that ability, when they would heal somebody, it, they would say, this authenticates the truth of the message that I have given you, that Jesus is Lord. And this miracle validates that. Today, we don't have to do that because we have the Bible. What validates today that Jesus is Lord? The Word of God. Hear the Word of God. The witness of the Word of God. Another temporary gift was the gift of healings. And another one was the gift of tongues. And the gift of interpretation of tongues. That was, that's not a gift that is present today. Now, I know there's some faith groups that say they speak in tongues. Whatever, they, they, whatever any group or any individual today claims to be the gift of tongues is not the biblical gift of tongues. The biblical gift of tongues was not some kind of gibberish that no one could understand. The gift of tongues was the ability to share the gospel in a known language that that person had never learned before. That's what it was on the day of Pentecost. When, when the, the disciples spoke in other languages the gospel that they themselves had never learned before. But they were given the divine ability you know, maybe one of them was given the ability to preach the gospel in Spanish. And they'd never learned Spanish in their life. That was the gift of tongues. Now, if you were in a church, see, in Corinth, that was a big issue. Because Corinth was a seaport city. You had, you had a, a port on one side of Corinth and a port on the other. Where it connected from the, the Adriatic Sea to the Aegean Sea. And it was, uh, Corinth was a seaport city where people from all over the world came to Corinth. They'd go into the church and there were certain people in the church who had the ability to present the gospel in a language that they themselves had never learned. And there'd be visitors in there and they would preach the gospel in the language of those people. God gave them that gift and that ability. But, you know, there'd be people in the church who could say, well, listen, I know y'all can't understand what he just said, but... God's given me the ability to tell you what he just said. That's the interpretation of tongues. Now, people will fight with you these days over that. I mean, they'll go to war with you, you know. But here's what. I have a hard enough time with the language I've learned. You know, trying to learn another one or have another one to preach the gospel would be a great challenge for me. I had a lady, true story. As if I never tell you true stories. Why did I even say that? I had a lady one time try to teach me how to speak in tongues. She said, Brother Chris, you need to learn how to do this. It's exciting. I said, I'm sure it is. And, you know, and I'm the kind of guy, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, make anybody mad. I said, okay, honey, well, how, do you, how do you speak in tongues? She said, here's what you do. You keep repeating the phrase fruit float over and over and over again. I said, really? Fruit float, fruit float, fruit float, fruit float. And eventually, you'll get into the rhythm and you'll speak in tongues. Probably good you told us that. Now, y'all don't try that. But I, you know, Miss Avery stomped on my foot because I was about to tell her that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But... But these, are, these were early 
short-term, temporary gifts given to the church in order to validate the message of the gospel. Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God, listen, and God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. In other words, the purpose of these gifts was to confirm the gospel, to validate the message of the gospel. Why are they no longer in play? Why are they no longer given to us? Because we have the word of God to confirm the gospel. You don't need that. You've got the word of God. You see, the Bible, it's more than just an ordinary book. The Bible is the word of God. It is the almighty word of God. And when the Bible speaks, God is speaking. And in the Bible, God confirms the message of the gospel. And none of those gifts are necessary for today. 1 Corinthians 13 8. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. In other words, preaching. One of these days, preaching is going to fail. Now, the word fail pictures something stopping because it runs into a brick wall. In other words, one of these days, preaching is going to stop because it's going to run into a brick wall. And there'll be no more preaching. You know what that brick wall is? The second coming of Jesus Christ. There'll be no need for preaching in heaven. Now, singers love to say they're going to be singing in heaven, but no preaching in heaven, apparently. But here's my, here's my belief. The Lord knows how much we love to preach, so he's going to let all the preachers get over in that corner of heaven, and he's going to let us preach to each other whether y'all need to hear it or not. Because we love to preach. But one of these days, preaching and teaching is going to stop like it hits a brick wall. What is that brick wall? That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Different word. That pictures a, a car stopping slowly because it's run out of gas. Stopping on its own. In other words, tongues eventually stopped. The need for tongues and interpretations of tongues eventually ran out of gas and no longer needed because the Word of God became available Amen. to the world. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Same word as fail. In other words, one day we'll know now, when you go to heaven, you're not going to know everything, but you will have the potential to grow in your knowledge like you've never had before. Right now, scientists tell us that we use about 8% of our brain power. We got 92% of our brain sitting up there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we got 8% that we're using. Do you know when you go to heaven in your glorified body, all of those synapses that are up there, all of that gray matter that's in your brain, it's going to be alive. It's going to be activated. You're going to be learning like you have never learned before. When you go to heaven, you won't know everything, but you'll have the potential to grow in your knowledge. And that potential will never be reached, not even for all of eternity. Y'all just wait till you go to heaven. You're going to find Brother Chris. I'm going to be living on Bijou Street with Miss Avers up there in heaven. You're going to find me and say, Brother Chris... You were right, but you wouldn't even, didn't even tell us a half. 
not even close to the half of all that it is. So those are the gifts. You got verbal gifts, you got nonverbal gifts, you got short-term temporary gifts. So in Ephesians, I got to hurry. In Ephesians 4.11, there are four spiritual gifts that are mentioned. I'll, I'll run through these quickly. Apostles. Paul says, you know, some have apostles. That speaks specific, specifically of the 12 disciples of Jesus, including Matthias, who replaced Judas, plus the apostle Paul. Their task, one of the gifts, you know, they were, they were, they were gifts given to the church, and these were the apostles. Their task was to lay the foundation of the church and to declare and write much of the New Testament. Now, there are no apostles today in the biblical sense. There are people running around, you know, and they're claiming that they're apostles. You know, and I'll tell you what that is. You know, you'll find somebody every now and then, he says he's an apostle. And usually they'll put it on a billboard outside of town, apostle so-and-so, pastor, whatever. Now let me tell you, I'll just be honest with you, I'll tell you what that is. That is a desire to give them some sense of position or authority for which they are not warranted. That's pride. They're not just a pastor. Oh, no. They're not just a preacher. Oh, no. They are an apostle. And they want you to give them great respect. It's a part of pride. Now, there's a theological word for that, <laughs> is what it is. Our prophets. You see, in the early church, there was no New Testament. And sometimes the church would run into something, and they didn't know what they were supposed to do about it. Well, God had gifted some of the church to be able to stand up and say, here's what I believe we should do. God has just spoken to me. Here's what I believe we should do in this situation. Because the New Testament is being written. And so they were gifted by God to give direct revelations to the church on practical matters. Now, in that sense, there are no prophets today. Now, I'm a prophet in the sense that I proclaim the word of God. When you proclaim the word of God, you are speaking as a prophet. But the prophecy you're giving is the written word of God. But in the early church, there were individuals who were given the special ability to be able to stand up and say, this is what we need to do as a church, direct revelation from God, because the Bible's being written. The New Testament's being written. Then evangelist. Now, every believer is to be an evangelist. You know what an evangelist is? Evangel, a teller of good news. We're all to be evangelists. But there were some in the early church and some today who were given the gift to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to unbelievers. This is a gift that operates today. There's just some guys, man, they know how, they, they've got that gift of being able to, to proclaim the gospel, to present the gospel and being saved. Richard Jackson was a pastor of North Phoenix Baptist Church in Arizona some years ago. He had that gift. He was a tremendous preacher. I heard him say one time, on a Wednesday night, he was doing a Bible study. And in the Old Testament, he was in the book of Proverbs where it says that you should be kind to your animals. Book of Proverbs says you need to take care of your animals, your donkey or whatever. Your animals, be kind to animals. He said in that, that thing, he, he, he brought that message about what the Bible says about being kind to animals, have a kind heart toward animals. And he said that night, five people got saved. And he wasn't even talking hardly about salvation. But he had that gift. 
There are evangelists today, people who just have that gift of being able to, y'all have heard them, I've heard them, evangelists. And then he identifies pastor teachers. This is pastors, those who are called and gifted by God to lead a local church, to teach the word of God, to train believers to do the work of the ministry. Verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is to equip you to do the ministry. Did you know that? To preach, to teach the word of God. And it's my job to equip you. You have been called to the ministry. We all have been called to the ministry. It's my job as a pastor teacher to equip you for the work of the ministry. To lead the local church. To preach and to teach the word of God. Now what are the results of spiritual gifts? I'll run through this quickly. Y'all have not listened fast enough tonight. If it, six things will happen according to this passage when people use their spiritual gifts the way they ought to be used. First of all, the church will be built up, verse 12. Second of all, the church will grow in oneness and harmony, verse 13. Thirdly, individual believers in the church will grow in spiritual maturity in Christ's likeness. Fourthly, individual believers in the church will stand firm in biblical truth, not be swayed by false doctrine and false teachers. Number five, Christ-like love will abound in the church. And number six, joy will fill the church. Now you might be saying, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And see, there's a lot of subtitles to these gifts. So how do you find your spiritual gift? Ask God to show it to you. It's pretty simple, isn't it? God, you've given me this gift and I have no idea what it is. Help me to see. Help me to know. Ask yourself, what is it that you do best? What is it that you love to do? What is it that you do that people respond to? What brings you the greatest joy in the doing? That's how you discern your gift. Because God will give you a gift and then he'll give you the desire to use that gift and to do that gift. I've heard preachers say, I didn't want to be a preacher. I held on in God, and finally I gave up. <laughs> well, listen, if God gives you a gift, he'll give you the desire to use that gift. Now, I was reluctant to be a preacher because I really didn't know if that's what God wanted me to do. But once I found out that's what God wanted me to do, I was ready to do it. God didn't have to drag me kicking and screaming <laughs> to be a preacher. I was ready to do it. And, uh, and God will give you the desire to do it. Here's the bottom line. We are all saved to serve, not to sit. We are all saved to serve and not to sit. Now, senior saints, mature saints will often say, Brother Chris, I'm tired. I can't do what I used to do. I don't have the energy to do what I used to do. I don't think as clearly and quickly as I used to think. I used to teach, I used to work with youth, I used to work, do this, I used to do that in the church, and I just can't do it like I used to do it, and so I want younger people to do it, and, and so my time has passed. Well, listen, you may not be able to do what you used to do, but your time is not passed. Because when you transition and come to that point where you're physically and you know in every way not able to do what you used to do, 
First of all, you're to be an encouragement to those who are doing what you used to do. You encourage them. You help them. You give them advice. And you don't go to them and say, well, that's not how I used to do it. And I don't think you're doing it right. No, don't do that. They have their own way of doing it. So you go and you encourage them. Say, I used to do that and you're doing a great job. And if there's any way I can help you, you know, I I love doing that. And if I can help you, I'll help you. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? And the older you get, there's one gift that we all have that becomes a greater emphasis in our life. And it's not necessarily a spiritual gift, but it's a gift given to all of us. The older you get, the more you become and emphasize in your life to being a prayer partner for the church. You can't do what you used to do, but you can still pray. And prayer is not the least thing we can do. Prayer is the most thing we can do. So if you can't do what you used to do, you are hereby appointed as a prayer warrior for this church. And an encouragement to those who are doing what you used to do. You still have that gift. You may not be able to do it anymore, but you go to that person teaching those preschoolers. And you encourage them because if they're teaching preschoolers, they need encouragement. And you go to them and you you help them and you encourage them and you pray for them and you tell them I'm a partner. This is what I've been called to do. I can't do it anymore. So I'm going to pour my life into you as you do it. Therefore, you are still using your gift. You get the drift? And then you pray. You become a prayer warrior. That's what you do. One of these days, I may not be able to preach, but I'm going to pour my life into somebody who is preaching and give them encouragement and give them help and tell them, I can't do it anymore, but you're doing a great job. And if there's anything I can do, I can help you. You see, that way your gift is never over.